0: My brother Wayne died five times. He was in a T-bone accident turning onto the interstate when another car rammed him in his truck going 45 miles an hour trying to pass in a passing lane hit through a yellow light and hit Wayne. And he died five times. They brought him back and each time he brought him back we didn't know if we were going to lose Wayne. The last time Wayne left us and he came back, I was with him at 3.30 in the morning. Uh, He was quadriplegic at that point. He couldn't speak, couldn't say anything. He was, but I remember him looking at me at 3.30 in the morning, and he said, I need to be saved. And I looked at him, not knowing how to read lips, and I said, Wayne? I need to be saved. And at 3.30 in the morning, I said, Wayne, are you asking about salvation? You need to be saved. Yeah. I said, you don't know how to pray. Don't pray, Wayne. You need your breath. Repeat after me. And I led him to the Lord through the Lord's prayer. Jesus, I am a sinner. I can't get to heaven without you. Would you be my Savior and Lord? And he did. Then I immediately baptized him with ice chips. I didn't know what to do. I thought, he needs to be baptized. And so, uh, God saved my brother that night, and at 3.30, my brother became my brother. He was the last of my family of of seven who became Christians. I was the first. Most people who have quadriplegic accidents, traumatic brain injuries, like Wayne. Wayne can't lift his finger. He can't turn his head. He has to be turned every two hours. Die within one year. They get divorced. They go on drugs. The But Wayne was converted. And it's now been uh, almost nine years. Let me tell you, God did a deep, deep work in my brother's heart. Because when he went to the point of death, he told me later... He saw figures on the other side that were dark, and it wasn't Christ calling. And out of fear and terror, when he laid, came back the last time, he said, I need to be saved. And he was. And so I praise God for that. Only God knows the timing of when the soul departs. Only God knows whether or not a soul is converted And yet, as we get into the topic this morning, when we're looking at this whole thing of conversion, what happens when a soul returns to God? And so that's going to be our focus as we think about it. Uh, You may hear the word conversion uh, today if you get on the goal line, since there's a two-point conversion, since I have to bring this in. Uh, it's uh, It's a... coaches call whether he moves or not to to take that run around or that pass but they started this two-point conversion but this game is finished and you will forget about it (laughs) within 24 hours of the game unless you're one of the winners (laughs) Uh, but we're not going to look at that conversion we're going to look at the conversions In the book of Acts. And the reason why I say this is because the book of Acts is known as the Acts of the Apostles, but it's better known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because what you will find in the book of Acts are 21 to 23 accounts, depending on which you add in, uh, 23 acts of people who've turned to God, converted to God. And God's spirit is at work. And so these these acts of the apostles uh, are really acts of the Holy Spirit. My brother's uh, conversion was an act of the Holy Spirit in right in front of me. So I was privileged to be part of that. But when you think about this idea of conversion, uh, there's so many images and stereotypes and 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 difficulties with this topic. Scholars don't agree. They can't figure out what exactly the process is, and, and when is a person converted, and so there's lots of discussion, a lot of things that make people insensitive, because you don't know, if you hear a person, well, this person is doing that behavior, X behavior, is he really a Christian? Is he really converted? Because if he's doing that, he surely isn't. And so you hear people say, well, yeah, he he accepted Christ back at Camp Obi-Wan Kenobi and." He was 12 years old, and that happened. He got converted, and people go through life kind of like human beings, and then they have the spiritual experience zap. They got saved. They got converted, and so people don't really understand that it's not just humans having a spiritual experience, but we are spirits having a human experience, and this human experience is going to come to a close one day, but your spirit is what God is looking at. So is, is it something that just takes place one time? Uh, are you being converted today? Is that a, a crazy sounding sentence? When does conversion stop? Is it a one time event? Or is it a process? Or both? So I want to look with you today to think about this idea. Because one, it's not a topic people talk about because we don't talk about sin, we don't talk about things that need to be turned from. And so, look at these various questions. We're going to look at the various types of conversion and uh, understand that uh, what conversion really is. And as we look at this, we want to look at what the Holy Spirit does in our in our hearts in order to make us the people that God wants us to be. And the lastly, is we're going to barely touched on this one, is the story that you have in regarding to the changes that are taking place in your life because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Well, let me start with this idea that there are seven kinds of conversion. I listed them as I was thinking through them. First of all, there's there's a conversion that's coerced. Uh, Then there's a circumstantial conversion, a contract conversion, a confrontational conversion. A cult conversion, a cultural conversion, and maybe a crowd conversion. We'll throw that in there for the sake of, of, of completion. Um, coerced conversion. Have you ever, ever been forced to do something? Ever been forced to uh, change? The co- coerced conversion. Uh, it happens uh, a lot. Uh, you see this in history when Cortez went down... And the Spaniards uh, took the explorers and the conquistadors when they went down to Mexico. Uh, they conquered. They, they conquered the Aztecs. And the thing about this conversion of the the uh, the Aztecs is that they would take these temples, that they would have the temple of the sun, the temple of the moon, or these, uh, you see this in the Inca culture, but, but the Aztecs in particular were a warrior tribe with a conquered a people. They would take the sacrificial victim up to that mountain, and on the top of that pyramid of the moon, the pyramid of the sun, they would take a phallic knife and cut the guy's heart out and lift up that beating heart to the gods as a sacrifice, it was there in 1976. I said to the Lord, Romans 12:1. On top of that same pyramid, I said, "Lord, you said by the mercies of God, I urge you to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to, to God, which is your reasonable service of worship." So I sacrificed my heart there. But the interesting thing about what the conversion tactics were, were to destroy all the temples of the Aztecs. And on those foundations, they built many of the Catholic churches. Well, the idea that the Cortes and the Spanish when they ruled, uh, they took over and they forced these Aztec um, uh, captives to become converted. By blood, by force they they did so because they were a defeated enemy now what's interesting thing about this conversion is they they it became in the sixteenth century uh because of an apparition to one of the saints, Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque. They adapted this vision that Jesus would sacrifice his heart and expose it. you see there. And that became uh, uh, compatible with the Aztec religion. And what they did was they understood sacrifice, and so they continued to do the Inca or the Aztec culture underneath this Catholic veneer. And they really weren't converted. They just added a layer of religion on top of what they already understood. Now I understand this, because it's easy to add things to you uh, to your life that really don't make you change. I went to Japan and I've learned Japanese. I learned to do Japanese things, but because I was an American in Japan, having American experience in Japan, I never became Japanese. I never converted, so to speak, to the Japanese way. I added it to my repertoire. And therefore, Conversion doesn't mean necessarily a spiritual change. Religions all around the world will have you do things to make people conform. As you see this uh, situation in India where the Hindus are now forcing the Muslims to convert in a way that's kind of trapping them. They don't have any, any jobs in this city of... Uh, ved nagar in india and for years and years and years the muslims have to work in the in the uh, slums and they that's the way they make their money well one day the hindus came and said i know what we'll do we're going to have a special ceremony and that ceremony of 150 muslims came and as they were gathered together some hindu priest says you're no longer muslims you are now hindu Because he said the word, they were no longer Muslims and he pronounced this sentence over them and yet they continued in their own ways in the heart because they weren't converted just because somebody said so. There are circumstantial conversions There are circumstances that will lead people to change for a while. You'll see this in the Kairos ministries. You see this in the prison ministries where people become religious in prison and they do all the religious things in prison. They go to chapel and they go to Bible studies. When I went to the Newcastle prison and I took cookies around to these 3,000 fellows, I noticed about 80% of these guys had a Bible by their bed. 80%. It's easy to get religion in prison, like they say there's no atheists and foxholes, but by circumstance, they do change or they do conform for a while, and then they get out of prison, and then they forget all the other things that they've learned, and they go back into the world. Prison conversions are sometimes questions, but... For the Kairos Ministries, as we go in, we will go in and we'll spend four days with them from seven o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night. We ask for the worst of the worst. I can tell you, I've seen God's spirit at work in some of the most horrific, evil men that you'd ever want to meet. But they've been changed. There's another kind of conversion. I call it a contract conversion. And, And to put it simply, if you will save me, Jesus, I will do this for you. It's a negotiated quid pro quo uh, where you get people into, in problems, and so they're in a crisis. Uh, where Where Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, he was an alcoholic as a young man, 16 years old, he got thrown in jail, and he said, "Oh, oh God, if you save me, if you get me out of this mess, I'll I'll uh, serve you." And he did get out of the mess, but uh, he didn't serve him. He continued for his alcohol until later. On when Dawson Trotman really met Christ not to use him to get him out of his alcohol but to meet him to be who Jesus is. Same thing with Louis Zamperini. Zamperini, You know his story, the Olympian who was captured. Jesus, if you save me out of this this dilemma, this, this crisis, I'll serve you. And he did save him and he did not serve him. He went to the Japanese prisoner of war. You see it in the movie um, un, Unbroken. Thank you, Alfred. Unbroken. And yet we make promises on a contract and we don't keep our part. God keeps his part. But the conditions change. And if the conditions change, I leave God behind. I go on. There's another type of conversion. It's called confrontational Uh, you're under my roof, you will do as I say, Uh, I'm going to have an authority come in, and I'm going to address your bad behavior. This is the state policeman who says, uh, how fast were you going? (laughs) And you are confronted with behavior that is not, a well, you're confronted. Same for parenting. When parenting says, okay, you, uh, I, I know you did this, and you're going to force a child to fess up. This week I heard a story of a, a mother whose daughter was uh, stealing in school. And again, she confronted the daughter and said, um, why didn't you tell me? You know, you know better, you know better. And to confront, no matter what the mother would do, this uh this girl was not going to be honest. But when you confront and you bring in consequences, uh, people are confronted and they change because of pressure. Remove mom and dad, remove the place, remove the authority, and they go back to their ways. It's just conditional, uh, confrontational. There are other type, types of conversion you know about. You've heard about the cults. Uh, the Wiccan a religion, when I was in prison, a man named Kevin who was forty. Eight years old at that point, uh, his grandma and his grandpa were Wiccans. His generation, his family, extended family were Wiccans, apparently, and and he came to Kairos And uh, when he said to me, he says, "Jerry, I I have been praying to these pagan gods. I have been I have been involved in this cult religion, and." For my, my time, I have prayed to the gods and they never showed up. I don't have what you have, and these guys at Cairo's have. Uh, I want to ask Christ in. I said, you can't. If you're going to be part of this wicked religion, you have to turn turn away. He says, I want to turn away. And when Kevin asked Christ into his life, what happened at that moment was the experience of lightness he says i feel like i could fly he says i never felt this in my in the Wiccan religion i i i feel it, i just feel wonderful that the burden had been lifted off well sometimes when there's pressure the sign of pressure or sign of a cult uh, you'll hear that that spirit says you got to, you should, you have to, and, and you will feel pressure. That's why I think for us as Christians, the mark of the Christian is not pressure. It's freedom. It's the peace. It's the joy that no one has to twist your arm because you're following Christ. When a guy in the, the cult, uh, he was an Odin, uh, worshipped worshipped uh, another God, I said, you'd have to turn away from that religion. If it's not just a belief system, it may be a group system like the white supremacy group. There's a cult, there's a conditioning going on, and so a lot of people will will join groups, gang members in the, in Cleveland, the heartless felons, uh, it, and we we deal with these guys in prison. We meet with them, and what we do is we see... There, there's a, a change in them. There's a change everywhere. In our culture, there's a change. You see this happening right now in the information society. We, we've we adapted. We're, we're, we're doing things that we never did before. But our culture is shifting and converting. Now we're talking about globalization. Uh, Tim and I were talking about the men's prayer breakfast, about this 5G um, network, uh asked him about He's got some great ideas that we don't know what technology is going to do to us with this 5G. But the social networking leads us into a whole idea that we go with the crowd, we go with the culture, and so we end up missing what the Bible says. But the Bible is very clear that the kind of conversion that we as Christians need to see is something that Jesus talked about. Jesus said clearly, truly, truly, verily, verily, unless you are converted and you become like children, to understand the biblical kingdom of heaven. And so for us, To understand the biblical conversion is not about a group, it's not about a crisis, it's not about the circumstance. For us, the focus is Jesus Christ and the kingdom of Christ. And therefore, it's a whole new shift in our understanding and that understanding comes only if you have been born again, as Jesus would say to Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born again, you won't even be able to perceive the changes, let alone agree with them, you won't see them. For the blindness, the scales in your eyes will keep you from understanding what God wants to do. Well, Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Again, the physical, limited uh, understanding, Jesus says, you don't understand. He cannot uh, <clears throat> Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Just because you have a religious experience doesn't mean you are converted by the Spirit of God. And that's the issue that Jesus was after. And so he says, saying to them all, everywhere he went, repent, convert, turn, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that kingdom focus is the shift in the soul, that you're not thinking about what God can do for you, but you're thinking what your role now is in the kingdom. So there's an entire, entirely different, and here's your word, you've heard it before. This is the word for repentance, which we don't understand very well, because it's, it's much bigger than repentance. It's much bigger than just behavior. It's a transformative change of heart, especially in your spirit. So when a person becomes a Christian, he just doesn't say the magic words, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. There's more going on than we understand. And therefore... When you think about what conversion does, when a person turns to Christ, there are changes for sure. Changes in, in the way you think about what's right and wrong. There's a moral change. There's a shift in the sense of, I no longer want to do or be tempted to do what I am was previously given to do because I have a new master. There's a new realm of morality and ethics that come into play. But beyond that, there's a sense of of a mental, cognitive, this is how God thinks. And I want to think God's thoughts after him. Huh, that's new. But there's more to that than just morals and mental. There's a real relationship when Christ comes into your heart and he dwells within you in the Holy Spirit. And therefore, conversion is not about change it's about relationship it's about a companionship it's one who's saying follow me and this this change is real because what Isaiah talked about is what God would say to each of those believers your sons will be taught of the Lord what does that mean? It means Jesus will teach you. Jesus will disciple you. Jesus will engage you in your thinking so that you think like Christ, and he will replace that which is wrong with that which is right. He will place worldly thinking with kingdom thinking, fleshly thinking with spiritual thinking, and the well-being. Well-being will be great. He said it this way in 1 John 2, 27, And as for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you you abide in him you see when the spirit of god comes in you have a wonderful counselor a prince of peace who's really who's willing to abide with you. And if you're listening to the Spirit of God He's going to guide you. That's all you need in one sense to find out what God's guidance is, God's purposes are for you. And this is the role of the Holy Spirit. But He, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, when the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So for those of you who think you've got short-term memory loss, don't worry about it. God's Spirit's got a good reminder system. He'll he'll make sure you get to know what He wants you to know. Even in the situation where you don't know what to say, if you're trying to share with someone who's lost a a family member or is going through some real grief or who's going through crisis, it's the Holy Spirit that comes alongside and helps you say, in the word of the moment, those words that are golden words in settings of silver. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So Paul would say it this way, have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus. And so when you talking about biblical conversion, you're talking about having an ability to live life as Christ would live in the spirit. To think Christ's thoughts after him. To see as Christ would see. Talk about a radical change. That's not just a behavior. That's not just a culture. That's not just a Christ. It's, it's your spirit becomes alive. And that's what metanoia means. That's what repentance means. It's a whole uh, paradigm shift in your heart. It's a change in relationship. And so when Paul would go to the Gentiles, he would go to the Thessalonians, they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and a true God and to wait for his son from heaven from whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath of God to come when when Christ comes in what he does as you know this very famous passage in Psalm 23 listen to this as i read david's words the lord is my shepherd i've got a shepherd i've got a companion who's coming alongside me he's a shepherd and i'm just a sheep and i shall not want i shall not lack anything i Everything I need my contentment is in re- relationship with this one who's shepherding me. He's watching over me. And David will go on to say he makes me lie down in green pastures. Rest. Quietness. Stillness. When somebody turns to the Lord, The idea of perfect peace overcomes the spirit because whatever else is outside of you, all those things are coming to force you to change. Jesus does just the opposite. He goes inside to change you from inside out. He leads me besides quiet waters and he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Now that Takes place for every believer who calls upon the name of Christ. It did for Wayne, it did for Kevin, it did for me, it does for you. But the idea that conversion is a constant restoring, God's Spirit isn't done because you've made this decision 25 years ago, whenever. He restores present tense and He guides me present tense in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I no longer walk in the shadow of death. I walk in the shadow of the shepherd. He's right by my side. I'm right by his side. I walk without fear because if there's something coming at me, I've got one that'll take care of it. And he says... I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they those who know that they're facing whatever. Oh, what a reality that is! For those who know that they're facing whatever crisis, to know that you're not facing it alone, but you're facing it with Christ, and that should give you real comfort. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I'm about to be attacked, and you're asking me to sit down at a table to relax. You're not worried about this. No, because I'm going to take care of them. You you have the victory. You just sit down with me. In my presence of mine enemies, I don't have to worry about those things. And you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, the good thing about when a man or woman becomes a Christian, uh, we receive the Holy Spirit in conversion. And Paul says we haven't received the spirit of the world. We don't think like the world any longer, but we have a spirit who is from God that we might know the things freely given to us by the Lord. And so when somebody comes to to the point of conversion what the spirit of god does is he changes the human heart's direction to really have an affection for christ to have a desire to follow christ and so that man that woman becomes the most glorified person to be converted means you become the true person that god always intended you to be Therefore, I don't have to worry about the crowds or conforming to a group. If you are a woman converted by the Spirit of God, you become a glorious daughter. And that's all you need to be, who God made you to be. And God wants you to know that. And in coming to Christ, you come to Christ saying what Christ says. If we confess, what's confess mean? With fess. Professor. I say the same things. Whatever God says about sin, I say about sin. Whatever God says is true, I say is true. I agree with confession is simply agreeing, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit reminding you that this is what the Father says, and you say, yeah, okay, I agree with that. But look what happens. If you confess your sins, as it says in John, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Everyone should have the deep experience of what forgiveness is at the heart. So even though you've done all these things, don't turn to those, Samuel said, because they won't deliver you. But if you turn back to Christ, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what the Spirit of God does. And therefore, Day by day, conversion takes place as we go and we find our things dropping off as you'll see in the story of Paul. Uh, Paul was this raging rabbi who couldn't love people because he's so interested in hurting people and protecting his own tribal thinking. The Spirit of God made him a lover. The Spirit of God makes us lovers. And therefore we turn to the truth, vert, V-E-R, convert, convert, it has to do with this idea of turning back to God, turning away from idolatry, turning from sinful ways, unbelief, but we turn back to the truth, and Jesus says, I am the truth, and when we turn back, Christ lifts us up, and he brings us out of the pit of destruction. He takes our feet and puts them on solid ground, we become solid people, but notice what David said in that psalm: "I put a new song." Even those of you who don't sing, you'll get a new song. But he'll put a song in your heart, and many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. You see, this is what this is what the whole process is of meeting this author who's telling us a story. You know the C.S. Lewis book. This is the last book that he wrote, Till We Have Faces. Anybody read that book? Difficult book to read. But it's a story about two women, uh, Oriole. But Oriel, one is the daughter of a king. And the first part of the book is about her raging against God, angry against God, because the, her lot in life, her father died, or her mother died, and her father was just not a kind man and would say, Oriole, you cover up your face because no man would ever want to be with you. You're an ugly woman. She became the queen, and the whole story of her life is so angry. She became a controlling queen, and she would destroy people and destroy relationships. A very harsh queen. Her sister, her sister, was the one. Who became the beautiful woman who was carried away, and uh, she was the spiritual person, and so Oriel, the sister, the unbeliever, and her sister became the beautiful one. But the story is said that when she was raging against God, the first three chapters are, God can't speak to her because she is not she doesn't have her own face, until she is who she is, honest before God, God will never speak to her because she's presenting something that's really not her. And that's what, Paul, that's what Paul understood. When everybody turns to the Lord, what happens is a veil is taken away. The veneer is taken away. The roles are taken away. The culture is taken away. And you stand face to face before God with everything you are seen as you are, enjoyed by his grace as you are. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. but we all with unveiled face, taking down this veil, we behold God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And that's conversion. We're being transformed from one image of glory to another image of glory, and therefore biblical conversion is the con- constant process of the Spirit of God changing you within. Well, we've looked at various kinds of conversion. And all, the, all those seven types at the beginning were external conversions. But know this, that the biblical conversion is, is inside you. That's where it takes place. And you are the only one that will know it. I won't know it unless you really say it. And therefore, it's your story. That's what the Spirit does. When you become a Christian, you just don't get fire insurance, go to heaven. The Spirit of God comes in and begins to change you on the inside out. It's a wonderful story. Well, what is your story regarding the Holy Spirit? Do you have any indication where God has touched you, taught you, training you, leading you? Do you have any stories? God is full of stories. The Bible's full of stories. And as you get into the book of Acts, what you're gonna find is that there's a whole number of just what become converted as we move out into the nations because that's that's what the book of Acts is all about. Join with me in prayer. Father, thank you that your great love as a father that you've bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, that we would take a position before you, that we would understand that your work inside our lives uh, is your work. So Father, take take these words and cause us to think and uh, to cause us to respond and cooperate with you. If you're trying to do something, Father, give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear and make that fruit Multiply 30, 60, and fold. Again, we thank you for all these things. For your glory and our growth, we pray. Amen.